1: Bringing you a little post-game action following the Pacers and Lakers game. But before we get into that, I wanted to congratulate Tyrese Halliburton on being named an All-Star. Yes, it finally happened. We hoped it would happen. We felt like it would happen, and it officially happened. The third-year guard, who's averaging 20.2 points per game and 10.2 assists, which leads the NBA in assists per game, has been named an All-Star, and he edged out. Trey Young and James Harden at the guard position. So that says a lot because I have both teams having a better season in the Pacers right now, but I think Tyrese has proved his worth that he is absolutely an all-star in this league and that uh, any idea of being a quote wannabe all-star, well, that has officially been dismissed. Sorry, Wally Zerbiak, but uh would love to hear from Wally at a time like this, but Moving over to Pacers and Lakers, this is a tough one. Lakers win one twelve to one eleven to spoil Halliburton's return. Very upsetting because Pacers led by as many as fifteen in this game. They only score fifteen points in the fourth quarter. Lakers outscore the Pacers twenty eight to fifteen, stealing this one. Anthony Davis hits a very tough turnaround on Miles Turner with. About 10 seconds left, so the Lakers have the lead. Patrick Beverly shanks two free throws to give the Pacers a chance. But after Halliburton is fouled, Pacers elect to inbound. Andrew Nemhard passes into Buddy. Buddy's in the corner, double-teamed by Dennis Schroeder and Russell Westbrook. Chucks up a, a shot, just a kind of a prayer. Has a chance to go in, but does not. The Lakers end up taking this one. It's tough because when Tyrese Halliburton was out there tonight, Everything felt different. I, I couldn't stop myself. I tweeted it out. I, I said, are the Indiana Pacers back? Because that's what it felt like. Tyrese was, honestly, I'm going to say magical. 26 points, 12 assists, 11 of 24 shooting. He did struggle from three-point land. He was 4 of 13. He did have an elbow, elbow brace on. Looked a little clunky. But Halliburton made all the difference. I mean, and one guy that we made a, a big difference for Aaron Nismith career high, 24 points tonight, 9 of 12 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3. Looked like Tyrese was able to get him some great looks. Looked very confident early on and carried through in the game. So great game by Neesmith. Miles Turner also 20 uh, uh, 20 points, 13 rebounds, a plus 18 to lead the Pacers. He did that on 8 of 11 shooting. So the big three tonight, Halliburton, Turner, and Neesmith. Um, and then, you know, Buddy Heal, 5'11 from the field, not a bad game, not a great game, 14 points, five boards. Could have been the hero with the game winner, obviously. That would have been amazing. But one of the things that was also interesting in this game, Benedict Matherin plays just 20 points in Halliburton's return. Oh, my God, 20 minutes. Sorry, guys, a little late. Uh, so 20 minutes, five points. Ah. I just didn't really feel that engaged tonight because I don't know Halliburton coming back. Maybe it just it, it was it was a different game for Matherin, who had been on fire lately, averaging over twenty three points per game in his, in his last five games. So the twenty minutes that Matherin played, I'm looking it up as we speak, and that is the lowest amount of minutes that he has played in any game this year. So that was something. Definitely uh, to keep an eye on. I can't see that being a constant because he's too good to only be playing 20 minutes. But then also we saw the debut, the Pacers debut, of Daniel Tice. Uh, let's just say for anyone who thought that Pacers might be getting Tice's value up to get him traded. Well, this didn't really look like the game to show that he was a minus 12 in seven minutes. It's not like he had a big role or anything, but just didn't do anything of significance. O of 2, one foul. You know, nothing you're going to write home about, but good to see him healthy and out there. So that was nice. TJ McConnell, 11 points in 17 minutes. So McConnell cooled off a little bit lately. But basically, Carl leaned on the starters. Every starter played at least 31 minutes. And this was a game that the Pacers should have won. But I hate to be that guy. I'm going to point it out. The Lakers were only whistled for one foul in the fourth quarter, and it came with thirty seconds left. This is a game that the Lakers shot 31 free throws to the Pacers six. Not a conspiracy guy, but let's just say the officiating was, it was a bit strange, especially in that fourth quarter when the Pacers only scored 15 and, you know, the Lakers went to the line quite a few times.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
2: All right, everybody joining us now on Setting the Pace from 1075 The Fan. It's Kevin Bowen, KB. How's it going, man?
3: It's going great. As always, I appreciate you guys having me on. And I feel like the tone of this one is far different than the ones that we've <laughs> uh, that we've
2: typically had over the past couple of
3: years. I
2: mean, I mean, absolutely. This is uh this is an interesting team, even though they just went four and eleven in the month of January. It was not great basketball. Tyrese Halliburton only played in five of those games. So you do have to realize that he is the engine for this Pacers team. But I'm just curious your thoughts. You know, 24 and 28, heading into the trade deadline next week, what should this Pacers team be doing in terms of how they're going about this rebuild?
3: Yeah, I still think having the long-term view has got to be the number one priority. And honestly, January might have been the best thing for this team. I know that's probably not what a lot of people want to hear um, and I think in the market, if you're a Colts fan, you know, you, you were like you had this horrific season and you almost got kind of caught up in all the winning the Pacers did. And, you know, I don't think it was a huge section of the fan base, but there certainly was a section of the fan base. that was like, go, go, go. You know, hey, you can get a first round series and you can potentially host a first round series. And, you know, who knows what can happen. But, you know, even when Halliburton Burton went down, if I'm not mistaken, they were like, and I, th- I think they had fallen to seven. Maybe six mm-hmm. in the Eastern Conference standing, so it was still kind of teetering on the play-in, you know, part of it. And if you look at the schedule, you know, whether it was the end of the Western or that that four-game trip that they just got back from, and now into the month of February, I mean, there are some really tough games on the schedule. Um, but certainly, if you look at the season as a whole, you got to be extremely pleased. I mean, there are pieces to the puzzle; there are big pieces to the puzzle. You have made a decision on Miles Turner, and I think it's one that's a lot more attractive than I thought you'd be able to do. Um, So credit to Kevin Prisher and company, and credit to Miles Turner as well um, for getting that done. Uh, But I still think you're one major piece away. And and my thought process, guys, throughout this has always been swing for the fences. You know, this is not a franchise that rebuilds often. If you're going to do it, do it. And I am not one of these people that thinks the Indiana Pacers will never get to an NBA Finals. I mean, they were one game away um, against LeBron one year. They were two games away against LeBron, you know, the other year. And that was a loaded Miami team. You know, if you go back to the turn of the century, of course, they had their chances in that Finals with the Lakers as well. You you can do it. Um, it it's, it's not easy, but you can do it. And I think it's a disservice to your fan base if you don't try to take that full swing. Um, and I think they're still in a position to go ahead and try that, you know, certainly coming up with the draft here in June.
1: I think the, the building blocks are there. You have Tyrese Halliburton. Now you got Benedict Matherin. You know, Miles Turner is at least under contract for the next few years, um, two more years at least. So it feels like, and then you have the draft picks coming in, the cap flexibility. There's a lot of different ways the Pacers could go, but let's let's start with the Turner extension that you mentioned. I mean, what was your initial reaction when the deal got done? Because the Pacers were starting to, inch pretty close to you know a deadline of hey if if the trade deadline's approaching and Turner hasn't inked your hand might be forced
3: yeah without a doubt I mean I thought the first thing that jumped out to me was just the length you know I I don't know if I kind of got myself into this corner and maybe I shouldn't have but I just assumed if the extension was going to happen it'd be four years and it'd be you know right around that nine whatever it was 96 I think 96 million um and for me that that would have been scary. I I don't love paying centers that much money. I don't love committing to centers that deep, um, particularly into their thirties, and particularly one that you have to acknowledge Turner has had some injuries over the past couple of seasons. You know, particularly you know feet wise, which again is a bit concerning. Uh, but the fact that you know you're able to use your cap space this year, um, which again credit to the Pacers being in a flexible situation, they can do that, um, and then sign him for two years. You're going to get a very affordable contract for those two years, considering what what Turner offers you, and then you're going to get an extremely hungry Miles Turner. You know, I think Miles has always been uber confident in himself, um, especially with his words. You know, if you watch that press conference earlier in the week, uh, you know he acted like you know he hasn't even reached his prime, and I know a lot of that can just be you know hit you know just words, but I really think he believes that. And you could argue, you know, his play with Tyrese Halliburton you know, would offer an opportunity to reach a little bit of a higher level play. But he's still going to be extremely hungry. You can still move him if for some reason, you know, you you get a call that's super enticing one way. Um, So I I was a fan of it. And if we would have had this conversation this time last week, I would have been hesitant against it. I do think centers are a little bit more on the replaceable side in the NBA. I do want to acknowledge, though, he brings a unique aspect when you combine the ability to stretch the floor and – protect the rim, you know, when you think of guys like Nick Claxton or what Walker Kessler's maybe shown early in his career, they're just not going to stretch the floor like Miles. They might give you a little bit more from a lob standpoint, but they're not going to stretch the floor. Um, With how bad this team is defensively and just how poorly the young big guys have developed for you, um, it made a lot of sense, I think, to do it and to do it on the timeline that they did it. Yeah, and I
2: think Miles has actually been pretty effective down low at times too this year when they've put him in a post-up and things like that, it's very decisive, makes his move and gets right to it. And I think that was part of Turner's growing pains early on was he was just very indecisive with what he wanted to do. And now, you know, he's in a he's in a totally different system with Tyrese Halliburton. And I said this on our, our last episode that we just recorded, I really feel like Miles leaves if, one, Tyrese Halliburton obviously isn't here, and, two, Rick Carlisle isn't brought in as a head coach. I feel like Rick Carlisle has just completely change the culture of this Indiana Pacers team. And I'm curious your thoughts on what Carlisle has meant to this franchise since he's return.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a great point. You know, I think immediately when he walked into the locker room, I think, you know, Malcolm Brogdon had the quote, and I know that Brogdon's words were, you know, take it with a grain of salt over the past couple of years. But, you know, Brogdon said something to the effect of, like, he immediately commands respect. And unfortunately, I don't think Nate Bjorkren had that. And, and, and I think the COVID year certainly – Hindered him and and restricted him with just making any sort of connection with with that locker room. Um, so I think when you have a guy with Carlisle's resume, that helps. You know I think any conversation you have with him, you come away blown away by his intellect. And at times you're like, "Gosh, boy, he was just way over my head with that." Or you know he you aren't really sure how he's he's going to react. You know there was a, mm-hmm. we had him on right before the start of the season, and there's a question that I asked him of. Something to the effect of, like, do you feel like you need to prove yourself? Um, which, it's a bit odd to say that to a coach that probably will be in the Hall of Fame one day. I, I, I'm i not going to pretend to know Hall of Fame coaching resumes, but, you know, when you've been doing it as long as he has and has won a title, you're, you're, you're probably going to have some sort of Hall of Fame resume. Um, but, you know, you haven't won a playoff series in a decade. And I was really curious how he would react to that question. Um, and he reacted in a very similar way to, I think, how this team reacted to the Vegas win-loss total at the start of the year of, yeah, expectations are low. You know, we didn't play well last year, and that's on everybody in the organization. Because if you look at this team last year, I mean, certainly injuries and G-Leaguers and all of that, they still were worse than they were with Bjorkren, and they were particularly bad in those late-game situations. So, I think a lot of that can fall onto coaching. I mean, obviously, players make some big plays late, but – some of that can fall into coaching. And I just think Carlisle and that staff has been able to, you know, take a big jump this year and it's a very accomplished staff and major credit to them for how they've utilized guys, the mixing and matching of, um, you know, going a little bit smaller at times. I think they found a decent balance in committing to some youth, but also trying to win now, which I think is a really difficult thing. I mean, you're a coach at the end of the day, the player's, kind of you almost owe it to them to to try and you know obviously win I mean yeah there's been nights where I'm like man I'd like to see more Isaiah Jackson I'd like to see more Jalen Smith etc cetera, et cetera. do I really need to see Terry Taylor playing as much as he is but at the same time you know Rick has got to find that balance of sending message to guys on the roster and you know picking and choosing his spots when to commit to some youth and and playing more of the win now crew um, so yeah Carlisle deserves a lot of credit And certainly has bought into a unique situation, one that I didn't think he would necessarily want at this point in his career. And, you know, with another piece or two, I don't see any reason why this team shouldn't be back in the playoff conversation very soon.
1: It's definitely been a hard line to tiptoe for Carlisle, but I I do think he's, you know, had some different experiments that he's tried out. Some have worked, some haven't. But one player that we all miss, Tyrese Halliburton. Look, we knew just how how special and, and talented, you know, he was. But his absence has now, I think, almost created a a new appreciation for him. I mean, this team without Halliburton has been downright awful. Did this give you a more appreciation of Wow, this guy really is an all star? Because when he's out there, the Pacers at one point were twenty three and eighteen. They are currently twenty four and twenty eight. So life without Halliburton has not been pretty. Has it changed your outlook on him as a player?
3: Well, it's a great question. Um... I mean, honestly, there's probably no person that was happier to see the Pacers play like that over the last few weeks than Tyrese Halliburton's agent, um, considering (laughs) what he means to this franchise. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I thought one of the things that Halliburton showed me early in the season, you know, we're talking, you know, fall into the winter. I'm like, wow, this dude can really score at a high level. And honestly, the optics of watching Halliburton play probably does not offer him benefit of the doubt. Like, he's not going to wow you with his jump shot. It it doesn't look, you know, like the prettiest thing in the world. He's not this guy that's just banging on the rim. He's not this guy that's just this, you know, jet-like quick point guard. But yet he just gets it done. And you kind of sit there at the end of the game and you're like, wow, he does have 24 and 11. Um, So I thought that was kind of the first step in October, November, December, where I'm like, man, he can consistently score on top of obviously being one of the best distributors if not the best in the NBA. That combination is so rare. I mean there was a point right before his injury where I was looking up, okay, how many guys if you combine points and assists, you know, he averages 10 assists a night. Let's say half or twos and half or threes. Um you know, he's pretty much giving you the 40 to 50 point a night, you know, with his own scoring and the assist Guys, there's like five or six dudes in the NBA that that do that, and these are the dudes in in the league. Um, and then you've obviously watched them play the last couple of weeks, and I think the defensive issues have been growing in the last couple of weeks. And I think a big reason why is you're, you've turned the ball over more without him, and that's obviously exposing your defense a bit. You know, no one's going to pretend like Halliburton is a defensive stopper. But, you know, the inability to run efficient offense, I think, puts your defense in a poor situation. So he's been outstanding. Um, I think he stands for everything that you want. I I don't think this is an all depot Paul George situation. I could totally regret that in a couple of years. But I was fortunate over Thanksgiving to do a like a food drive thing with the Pacers and the Halliburton family happened to be at the station that I was at. I mean, they just all seem like down to earth, have that Midwest sort of, you know, appeal to them and and his dad and his mom and his girlfriend. I mean, everybody, um, I feel like, is on the same page and realizes he's got such a great opportunity here to be the face of the franchise moving forward. So um, I could not be more impressed. And to think it's not even fully 12 months. I mean, I guess it'll be fully 12 months here in about a week or so. Um, but, yeah, he has meant more to the Pacers than I thought in these last three weeks I've even added to that. Yeah, he's been, he's been phenomenal. I mean, I was at that Clippers game when he went off in the fourth
2: quarter and just carried that team back to victory over Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And they had a huge third quarter and it felt like the Clippers were going to get that W. And I think Tyrese had like 15 points or something crazy like that in the fourth quarter. So, you know, that's just the kind of player that he can become. And it's only in year three, which is just special. And you're at this unique situation right now, KB, where you have Benedict and on his rookie deal. You still have Tyrese on his rookie deal, and even some of the guys you brought up earlier, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, Chris Duarte, they're on really team friendly contracts. And then Turner, his extension is super team friendly. So they're going to have close to like $42 million, I think, next offseason if they don't make any moves right now. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you think they should approach the trade deadline in terms of like maybe adding salary, or should they wait till the offseason to kind of leave their optionality open there for Kevin Pritchard in the front office? Because obviously they got those four draft picks that they can look to use some of that money on. They'll have to use some of that money on, but still $40 million is, is quite a bit of money to use. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Some of that will go to a Halliburton extension. Yeah. In the next year. So it won't come into play until 2024. So that'd be 2023, 2024 season. You still have Halliburton on the final year of his rookie contract.
3: You know, it, it, four names have popped in my head about next week. And You know, I think these are all just conversations internally the Pacers should have, and the four names in no certain order would be Goga, would be Chris Duarte, would be Daniel Tice, and would be TJ McConnell. Um, You know, you can make some cases, probably McConnell, more than anyone, and why you'd want to retain them, but I think those are all calls you need to be willing to take and you need to listen to. Um, Again, all of them are very individual, and the reasons why I would listen You know, I know there's probably a lot of pushback on McConnell, but there's an age and there's an Andrew Nemhard presence that I think you want Nemhard running that second unit. I know we've seen him make plays off the ball, and that's been really nice. And at times, there might be moments where he does finish games. You know, probably more defensively alongside Halliburton, and there might be times where you want him on the ball and Halliburton off the ball just to see. And and again, Halliburton, credit to him for being a scorer like that 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 I wouldn't have thought, but. Um, I think you got to be open-minded to that because I still think you are a major piece and another, like, another, you know, medium-sized piece, if you will, away from truly, truly being, you know, in a potential to be in, you know, one of those higher conversations in the Eastern Conference. Um, and a lot of this is going to depend on where your lottery pick is. You know, I think at the time of us recording this, I want to say they're like 10th-ish in the lottery, maybe ninth. I
1: don't know. Um yeah, They're like I, I, tied, tied for eighth right now, but also in that ten to eleven spot in the East. So it's you could go either way within a couple of games. Yeah, right, tied
2: with, tie with the Lakers for eighth.
3: Yeah, which you know that that in its own right is kind of crazy. Um, you know, I think packaging the picks that you mentioned, Alex, and 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 moving up, I think is is ideal. Would be ideal. Really important. I think there are some attractive wings in this draft, you know, I brought up the defense earlier. I mean, you're Turner's played what every game, but five or six, I don't know. And you're 25th in scoring. I mean, that's inexcusable when your head coach is calling him the greatest rim protector, you know, in the world or however Carlisle phrases it. And again, I'm not saying this as a knock on miles. I'm saying it, clear, it clearly is exposing, a lot of other ta- wing and perimeter oriented talent defensively. You just, you really struggle. And Halliburton and Buddy Heal, they're going to be probably here, you know, next year. So uh, it's not like they're going to all of a sudden become great defenders. So, you know, Matherin, for how athletic he is and how gifted he is offensively, I think he could take a stride on the defensive end for sure. And then I really think that that four position, kind of that hybrid three four. That's got to be the mo- the biggest priority for this franchise. I mean, you just look in the Eastern Conference, you look in the West, defending those guys. I mean, you know, tr- watching the Pacers try and guard Giannis, it's just like, man, you, you like, there's no shot. Put Boomer on them. Um, <laughs> And I think that's just such a glaring weakness to have. I almost equate, you know, a six eight six nine wing. It's not at the same level, but it's almost like having a quarterback in the NFL. Like that position means more than arguably anybody else on the floor. Maybe it's not a quarterback. Maybe it's a wide out or, or a pass rusher, but it, it, it you just have to have that. So I think so much of your focus in the next week has got to go towards getting as high as you can in the lottery. In an ideal world, you would probably still have one maybe two of those other picks light you know likely in the 20 or 30 range i would take a shot at a backup big more of a shot blocking type big um i know you know right now on paper you've got kind of a log jam there but i think you got to be looking a little bit down the road at you know wh- where you're at where turner's thinking at the age of 29 you know i think finding a shooter You know, because Buddy is, you know, hell, he seems like he could shoot till he's 40. But, you know, you you can never have enough shooting, particularly off the bench. So those are some of the pieces that I think I'd be looking to add.
1: It's a hard line to tiptoe because guys like McConnell, you can make an argument this is the highest his value has been in the last two seasons. Right now, at this moment, when the trade deadline is approaching, and then how much they like Buddy and and the chemistry between Buddy and Halliburton. It's all valid points. It's, It's a hard spot to be in the Pacers but you know you you touched on a few of the rookies Andrew Nembhardt Benedict Matherin both named to the Rising Stars Challenge I thought that's that's a Rising Stars game I thought that's awesome for them but Matherin I mean he is unlike any first round rookie we've seen in recent past I mean talk about some names Goga T.J. Leaf Aaron Holiday it feels like Matherin's from a different world compared (laughs) to those rookies What were your, I mean, how has he surpassed your expectations? Because we knew he was good, but we didn't know that he was, you know, a potential rookie of the year, six man of the year good this early. Yeah. You know,
3: I have, I mean, Alex probably gets tired of me talking about Matherin as much as I do on our morning show here, here in Indianapolis, but yeah, build thy (laughs) statue. Yeah. You will (laughs) will see that tweet a whole lot from me. And I've seen it a whole lot from me this season, you know, always have been, extremely fond and and you know how borderline crush like on on Matherin and just not only his play but again i think how he's wired off the floor which is so important to have and it's important to have when you're trying to project someone into being a star you know you really need you know as much as miles turner is really effective i just don't think miles is wired enough to be a star you know and again that i i might be you know too critical on on miles right now but um I just think it's a rare sort of kind of I don't know mental approach or whatever. And if you watch the Pacers, hell, there's not many of hell, there's not many of them in the NBA that that have that sort of confidence. But you watch Matherin and, and he has it. Um, I mean, you look at the games that you would think he'd circle on the calendar: games against people drafted above him, games against LeBron, games against the Raptors. Considering where he's from, those have been his best games. And that, to me, is a sign of like, whoa, and, and there can be some stardom. You haven't seen lulls from him. A bad half usually doesn't turn into two. A bad game certainly doesn't turn into two. I'd say the thing that has pressed me the most, Fauci, would be his driving ability and just the variety in his bag of tricks once he gets into the lane. You know, when you're in college, you can probably get by just with elite athleticism and finishing over, you know, the eight kid from Arizona State. But his ability to throw the floater in um, the left handed finishes, the willingness to absorb contact, I think, honestly, his first play as an NBA as an NBA or was was driving on Porzingis, if I'm not mistaken, in that first game of the year. And, you know, obviously, you know, Porzingis beef necessarily might not be there, but the size is and his ability to get to the foul line. And, you know, I think they threw up that graphic the other night of what is it? Giannis LeBron and him one, two, three and free throw attempts in the fourth quarter. And um, he's just very, very gifted. And once that jump shot, I think tightens up a little bit, you know, he he's only going to, I think be more gifted. And then if the ball handling, you know, ever kind of gets to the level that you hope to again, that's another step. Like I'm still talking about a guy that's, that's pretty raw in some other areas which, again, is so exciting to see. I think him and Halliburton having different types of personalities is important as well. Um, I I think that's a good mix. So, yeah, just been thoroughly, thoroughly impressed by him. And there's room to grow, which is the beautiful part of it. And he seems like such a willing learner. You know, it, it's I think it's a rare attribute to have a guy that exudes confidence, borderline cocky, and yet he wants to learn. Um, and I think Matherin has that. And unfortunately, he's been through some very tragic events in his life that have probably shaped him to be like that. But, man, he just – he seems to have it. And, and you know, we'll see if the basketball part of it, you know, continues to grow and continues to blossom. But I don't want anyone to take for granted a dude averaging 17 points off the bench as a rookie. That That stuff just does not happen in the NBA, let alone doing it how he's doing it, which, mm. you know attacking like no other getting to the foul line you know imagine once he starts to get more of a favorable whistle um there's just so much there
1: and just you know real quick to finish up that that point is like this man is getting to the line at an elite level an elite as a rookie alex and i have been begging for someone to be able to get to the free throw line on this pacers team for years and to the second point we haven't heard one peep from Matherin about complaining of coming off the bench. As good as he is at as, as what he's bringing to the table, he's embraced it. And that's everything that you could ask for because he trusts the coaches. So I, I just, it's another thing to just add to the list things that you love about him, how coachable he's been and how much room he truly has to grow. Yeah, it, it, it's
3: a great point. Um, I, on getting to the foul line, the Pacers have lacked easy basket makers, easy basket getters in recent years, whether that's dunking the basketball, whether that's finishing at the rim at a high level. I mean, in general, I think we all can agree the Pacers are not anywhere near the most athletic NBA team out there. Um, So finding more of those guys and, again, getting to the foul line at a really high rate is is quite the gift and he and he has that and it's not just he's just putting his head down and you're like oh god where the hell is he gonna end up I mean sure there's some times where he's looking for a call but you know when you can get to the foul line as much as he has and it hasn't happened often but this is another area but I think it was the magic game the other night maybe where he had four assists and no turnovers I mean that's another area where it's like okay when he gets in the lane now and the attention grows can he become a little bit more of a playmaker that would be something you would love to continue to see him growing. Yeah. I was going to say this month uh, in January, he was the Pacers leading score at 19 and a half
2: points per game. And he was shooting, I think below 30% from the three-point line. And that's one thing we saw when he first came into the league, that first month of October, a little bit in November, he was shooting lights out from behind the arc and pretty much the last two months, he's been pretty bad from there, but he's still putting up big numbers. So like you said, Very raw player, but I still think if he can get that shot down consistently, specifically from the three-point line, I like the little floater that he's added into his game as well. Uh, And he's even talked about that openly, just trying to find that mid-range shot and knowing when the defense is giving you that and when to go all the way to the basket because I think we're just seeing a special score in the making. But um, another guy that's kind of had a a down month, and I think a lot of it has to do with the absence of Halliburton, but he had a great December was Aaron Neesmith. And, And this is a guy that... I feel like this might just be who he is, a very up and down type of player. That's not someone you can consistently rely on and probably more of a bench guy. But I'm just curious uh, for my last question. What have your thoughts been on Aaron Niesmith this season?
3: Yeah, I, I would say the first thing that stood out to me is, you know, when you think of high level athlete and, you know, he was a good shooter coming out of Vanderbilt. I'm always curious, like, you know, what's their effort like? How hard do they play? Um, he plays really hard. He yeah. plays really hard. And there was a night, I'm trying to think who the opponent was. Hell, it was probably one of the few wins they've had recently. Maybe it was that Chicago game or I I don't know. I'm trying to think of who they beat recently. But um, he didn't score, but he just kind of hustled. And they got back in the game in that third quarter. I don't know, maybe they ended up losing the game. But uh, he just made a lot of those plays. And so I think that's something that you like. Um, I would tend to agree with what you're saying, though, Alex. You know, to me, I'd probably slot him more in a, if I'm projecting the Pacers out the next five years as a seventh, eighth guy and less is a starter. Um, probably would have higher asp- aspirations for what I would want in the starting lineup, but you got to remind it, he's still pretty young. Um, it was a right wrist injury, if I'm not mistaken, is what he's been dealing with too. So you wonder if that's impacted his jump shot. Cause I mean, there was a stretch there where he was like two of 22, yeah. uh, which he, <laughs> you just can't play a six, five, six, six guy and have that at all. Um there, There is a lot of refining just, I think, with consistency of the jump shot when he is driving, um, kind of channeling in that athletic ability to match up with just his basketball skills itself. Uh, but I still think there is stuff to work with and there's, you know, things there that you like and contractually it's, you know, just fine. It's not like you got to make a big decision on him in the next month or so or next week or so, anything like that. Uh, but I would probably slot him. You know, probably him and Nemhard in as more of that second unit of the future and kind of how you're looking at it. I mean, if you're going to look out the next one to two years, you know, Halliburton, Heald, Matherin, Turner, four of your five starters. I think you got to go find that four piece. Then your second unit, you know, who knows about the backup front core that's very up in the air for me? Obviously, Nemhard, um, I'd throw Neesmith in there. And then we'll see how everything else shakes out Duarte-wise, you know, Tice-wise, you know, those sorts of names. But, um, you know, certainly with the amount of picks you have, you aren't going to trade all of them. Um, You could add some pieces within that second unit.
1: I'd say for my last question before I let you go, what's been like uh, maybe your your favorite moment of the season thus far?
3: Oh, gosh, it's a good one. You know, I'm fortunate to to do a morning radio show here in Indy from 7 to 10 a.m., and I would just – just the sheer joy of talking about all the wins early on. And, again, the, the Colts probably have an impact on that, but um, it just was so unexpected. I mean, hell, I thought over 30 wins. I think I – my final prediction was 32 and 50, so even I'm selling them short based off, you know, their, their, their current projection – And I I would just say the utter shock of of how quickly it all came together, especially because, you know, Turner has the thing on opening night and he misses the first week. And didn't they start one and four? If I'm Mm -hmm. not, they were bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then you're thinking, oh boy, here you go again. And that was right as the Colts were doing all their firings and benchings and all of that. And then everything changed, you know, in November. So uh, I'm trying to pick out like kind of just those individual, I mean, Golden State Lakers back to back out west. Yeah. Um, I don't know if those are back to back, but on, on about that a week trip, apart. On that trip, uh, you know, beating the Lakers, Nem hard, you know, that shot and that comeback, and then without Halliburton beating the Warriors, you know, those were probably some, you know, late night moments when you stay up for those games, you're like, boy, this better be worth it. And they <laughs> and and they certainly were. So yeah, I would probably go there, you know, because as much as I am a big-picture guy and like to look ahead and, and and try and look a year or two down the road. I get there are a lot of fans that don't want to live in that moment. They would much rather live in you know the night-in, night-out moments, and that's fine, and that's part of fandom, and they've offered so much joy in those moments as well.
1: So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I think the, the Nem hard game winner, it's going to be hard to top that against the Lakers, and that that same stretch – Beating Golden State, beating the Lakers, I think if you poll the majority of Pacer fans, they're right with you because that was just such a fun point of the season where we were really sneaking up on teams and, and winning when it mattered most, which, as you talked about, years past, Last year, the Pacers couldn't buy a win in the clutch. So that that was a, a great joy to see. But, Kevin, as we wrap up, I mean, tell everybody where they could find you out on social media.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that. K Bowen ten seventy on Twitter um, is where you can find me. Like I said, co-host a morning show here in Indianapolis from seven to ten a.m. Um, each and every day. You can find the link to the stream and the app in my uh, Twitter info. So, K Bowen ten seventy on uh, on Twitter.
1: Appreciate you. Hey, you know we're gonna have to have you back on again. So just uh, stay ready.
3: <laughs> I love it. Thanks, guys. As always, you guys do unbelievable work. Thanks, KB. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right,
2: great stuff there from Kevin Bowen. Always appreciate when he's on and has a great pulse of this team. Doing a local radio show here, so that's going to do it for us today. Let the people know where they can find us at on the
1: good old social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the. Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace and Alex. Tell them where they can check us out on YouTube.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, go to youtube.com slash pace, a Pacers podcast, where you can check out all of our latest videos. If you're listening to this, for sure, the Jake Fisher interview is up, and the Trade Ideas podcast that we did, that video should be up probably at this time now because I am uploading it on when, uh, Thursday night. So excited for, for that to drop on YouTube. But make sure you subscribe. Let us know what you think. Tell a friend we're getting really close to a thousand subscribers, so if you haven't already subscribed, hit that subscribe button, but Fachi, if you're believing that Buddy Hill is going to put on a huge, amazing showing for the Indiana Pacers in the three-point contest, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top, this is your number
3: one podcast, sweeping every team, we gonna need a mop, smooth,
0: mm-hmm.